Would you like to attend an MBA program with a tight-knit community and a strong foundation in general management, but with enough breadth that you can still do a deep dive into a specific area of business? Dartmouth Tuck may be the perfect program for you. And today's guest is its Executive Director of Admissions and Financial Aid. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 514th episode of Admission Straight Talk. Thanks for joining me. Are you ready to apply to your dream MBA programs? Are you competitive at your target schools? Accepted's MBA admissions quiz can give you a quick reality check. Just go to accepted.com slash MBA quiz, complete the quiz, and you'll not only get an assessment, but tips on how to improve your qualifications. Plus, it's all free. Again, use the calculator at accepted.com slash MBA quiz to obtain your complimentary assessment. It gives me great pleasure to have for the first time on Admission Straight Talk, Lawrence Murray, Executive Director of Admissions and Financial Aid at Dartmouth University's Tech School of Business. Lawrence has been in higher ed since he graduated high school. He earned his BA and MPA at the University of Arizona and began his career in admissions there. He then became Assistant Director of MBA Admissions at Indiana University's Kelly School of Business, followed by a stint at UNC Cannon Flagler, where he rose to become the Director of the Undergraduate Business Program. He then served as Senior Assistant Dean of Graduate Business Programs at Fordham's Gabelli School of Business for over six years and joined Dartmouth Tuck as Executive Director of Admissions and Financial Aid just this past August. Lawrence, welcome to Admissions Straight Talk. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm excited to be here. And I'm delighted to speak with you. Now, let's start with a basic question, which is typically how I open these interviews. Can you provide an overview of Dartmouth Tuck's MBA program? Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, Again, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, the Tuck School of Business um, is at Dartmouth College here in Hanover, New Hampshire. We are a, an extremely rigorous uh, two-year Ivy League uh, MBA uh, nestled here in the Upper Valley. Opportunity uh, to reflect um, and focus here uh, while you're here. Um, it's an opportunity for students um, to really connect with one another. Again, it's a rigorous academic program. I think sometimes people think that coming to a small school means there's limited opportunities, but there are boundless opportunities here with a culture of collaboration and community. You can do almost anything you want to do in terms of your career aspirations. You know, we have a culture of co-investment. So students, we see the students as partners along all dimensions of their journey, whether it's the admissions journey, whether it's the student services journey or the, the career journey. And so that co-investment serves as the cornerstone of the Tuck ethos. Okay, great. We'll have to get back to that one. And in terms of the opportunities, some of the opportunities that struck me in preparing for the call one of them was the Global Insight Expeditions. Could you touch on, on that? Yeah, our Global Insight Expeditions are a great opportunity for the students to focus on a particular uh, area of the country uh, with a particular faculty member. They're typically two to three weeks, uh, and it's an opportunity for them to learn about a particular element of a faculty member's research, uh, which is anchored in a particular area. It's also an opportunity for them to learn and understand 
the culture of doing business in wherever they're going. So for this winter, we sent students to Denmark, we sent students to Israel, and we sent students to Vietnam. So it's an opportunity to build their network. And also it's an opportunity for them to engage in global teams. And when they graduate from business school, they will be placed on the sort of the global map and working with global teams. Um, it's an opportunity for them to practice that on their GIXs. It's a, it's a credit-bearing class, so the students get credit for that, but it's a wonderful opportunity. We had four GIXs in the winter, and I'm still getting used to being on a quarter system, so forgive me. We had four GIXs that went off in the winter, uh, which for us is uh, sort of December and January, uh, and then we have four that are going out in the spring. And again, you mentioned at one point in, in the country, but it really is global, right? Absolutely. We do have a couple of domestic GIXs, but the majority of them are global. And actually one unique element, you know, during the pandemic, uh, when we weren't able to travel, yeah. uh, one of our faculty members actually developed a, a virtual GIX working. Um, he's from India. And so was working with some NGOs in India and the students on both ends were using AR and VR to help execute um, a series of projects through that GIX. And we actually will continue to do a, a virtual GIX as we move forward. Wow. Okay. Now you mentioned the, again, the, the breadth of opportunities at Tuck. And of course, there are concerns sometimes that students or potential students voice about going to New Hampshire. And is that going to limit them? So where are Tuckies finding jobs, both in terms of geography and industry or function? Yeah, so that's a question that pops up a lot. You know, I'd like to first point to our employment statistics. Uh, and I think that the, the perception of it being a disadvantage is aligned with the career opportunities. But if you look at our employment statistics, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. About 98% of our students have a uh, full-time offer. At the time, uh, it usually it's three months post-graduation. We definitely send, uh, we are well-represented in consulting and finance. And then after that, it's a wide range, product management, marketing, operations, logistics, technology, about 11% of our students go into technology. That's a growing area uh, for us. Healthcare is a growing area for us. We have a growing area of intersection points, right? So we've got, you know, financial analytics, we've got healthcare analytics, we've got marketing analytics. So there are a lot of intersection roles that students are taking and industries that they're going into. All right. Tech is famous for the amazing degree of alumni loyalty as expressed in alumni financial support. That's something that comes up all the time. To what do you attribute that? I mean, uh, I know this past year in 2022, you had a $52 million donation from an anonymous donor. That's obviously a standout, but the percentage, I don't, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I know that the percentage of alumni participation is extremely high. I think the highest of any MBA program by far. So it again, is. I don't know the exact number. I, it's north of 70%. Yeah, that's um, what I remember. But um, I don't know the exact number. You know, one of the things, and again, I've been here for six months, uh, but one of the things that is clear, there's one attribute that all Tuck students share. And again, I've been in this business for quite some time now. I've worked at several different schools. And it's rare to be in a situation where all of the students experience one exact same situation. And that is for Tuck, they all had to move here. And they all had to pick up their lives from wherever they were and had to move to Hanover, New Hampshire. And that single shared experience helps form the foundation of that community and that collaboration 
that forms that camaraderie with students when they're in the program and then that alumni loyalty when they're out of the program. It is spectacular to see how these students come together knowing that they're all in the same boat. They all have to figure out, you know, they, their living situation. They've all got to figure out how do I now navigate, you know, this new, the next two years where I'm not working and I've got to refocus on school. I've got to refocus on an internship search. I got to refocus on a job search and they get to do that all together. And again, that's a little different from other schools. And I've worked at business schools um, that are top ranked, that are in different geographies, where, you know, there's definitely a benefit to being like in New York City. That's my, my last experience. But New York also presents, as much as there are opportunities in New York, sometimes that can be a little bit of a distraction. And so there are lots of things to do. And I have to be honest, I'm always surprised at, you know, how little students take advantage of the things in New York City, being, you know, from my former job, but it's still a distraction. The other part of it is, you know, in New York, a lot of time is spent commuting to school. And so you spend a lot of time, you're either running late and starting late, or you're leaving early trying to catch the train. So, you know, on those tail ends, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't happen here. And students really, you know, more than half of our students live on campus in their first year. So they're together um, a lot of the time. And then in the second year, they live off campus. But our location is small. Our school is small. Community matters. Um, students will come in and they will know um, their classmates. They will know their faculty members. You know, when we talk about careers, you know, one of the things I continue to be amazed with is how many alums come back to Tuck all the time. I mean, you're walking in the hallways. It's spring break now, so nobody's here. But any other time, you know, I'm being introduced to alums, you know, throughout the hall in the hallways or that the alums are here working with a student club or organization or the alums are here, you know, serving as alumni mentors with the career services team. It's a lot of engagement and activity. And that also means something. It's you have to be very intentional to come to Hanover. Yeah. You can get there by plane, trains, automobile, or you know, drive, but it's intentional to come here. And the fact that you know so many alums come back and play a part in the development of the class of students below them, I said that I think that says a lot about the culture and the community, and again, that sort of that ethos of co-investment. That was a very fascinating comment you made that that everybody at Tuck has moved. The tech initiative, it requires initiative. Absolutely. Right. Now, that was one thing that you, you might be answering the, my next question with your last response, but maybe there's something that you want to add to it. What don't people know about Tuck that you would like them to know? Or is there a common misconception that you'd like to dispel other than what you already talked about? Yeah. You know, I think when you are, again, I've been in this business for, for a while now. Um, and I think that sometimes people think that there are disadvantages, regardless of the location, there are disadvantages to a small, a small program. Uh, they think the bigger the program, the better. There are lots of benefits to, you know, some of our peers uh, that are significantly bigger, but it doesn't necessarily mean a better experience. You know, one of the things that, you know, I like to tell students or that we like to tell students Consulting is a very popular industry and function for MBAs, no matter what school you're going to. That, that really serves as consulting and finance really are the anchors of career services at most notable um, MBA programs. So when a company like Deloitte comes, and so Deloitte came for our consulting symposium in the fall, they brought a number of people with them. 
again, you have to be very intentional to come here. So you can't come for a morning or an afternoon or just a single day. Most of the time, the, our employer partners come for multiple days. So when you know students in, in larger programs, maybe in bigger cities, they're getting the career services uh, partners, the alumni that are representing companies that hire students to come in, you know, for a couple of hours, you know, when Deloitte came to visit us, they were here for three days. And so they hosted coffee chats. They were guest speakers in classes. They hosted dinners. They had some social events. So it was an opportunity for students to really engage with the partners from Deloitte in a fully immersive experience that I don't think is easily replicated at other schools. Got it. Thank you. Now, um, Tuck posts its criteria, and the transparency is wonderful. It posts its criteria for admissions, and it boils down to four qualities, smart, accomplished, aware, and encouraging, which I guess kind of goes along with the co-investment theme that you've mentioned a couple of times. Where do you typically find each of those qualities in the application? Yeah, we take a lot of pride. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why I, I chose to come to Tuck, you know, our, the, the spirit of transparency. There aren't very many schools that are that transparent in sort of telling the prospective students exactly what it is that we're looking for. We're not, we're not trying to hide anything. So when we think about SMART, you know, SMART um, is a broad category. It's not just what I think people think that it is, which is the numbers. The numbers are there. You know, we are definitely uh, in, in the SMART category are looking at some of those quantitative metrics like your standardized test score, your academic background. And in the academic background, we're looking for your overall GPA, but also the types of courses that you took, your grade trends, and sort of how that aligns with, you know, what you're doing now. We're also looking at your professional work experience and what you're doing. Was there a bridge between, you know, what you did at university and how you're deploying that um, in your job? What exactly are you doing in your job? The scope and depth uh, of your work experience, sort of the, the quantitative rigor um, of your work. Not everybody has that, but we are looking for that sort of analytic and technology element of work as, a, as, a, as an element of SMART. We are also looking at certification. So we have a lot of students that are coming, you know, with CPAs, with CFAs, and other additional certification, professional certifications that help indicate their level of expertise in a particular area. So those are some of the dimensions that we are looking at and that we are finding when we're looking for SMART. When we're looking for accomplished, again, academics play a part in that. Um, and so again, you know, your academic record, your, your ending GPA, whatever the GPA was in your, in your major, we're looking at that. We're looking again at the scope and depth um, of your professional work experience and growth and, you know, how you've moved forward and progressed. Um, in your career. So those are elements um, of accomplished um, that we can find both sort of in your academic transcript, as well as on your resume and in our conversation with you during um, an interview. When we are looking at AWARE, AWARE is pretty broad um, and it's broad by design. Again, I've mentioned this, this culture of co-investment a few times. And so when you have a culture of co-investment, you know, everyone is working together towards the common good. And that means that people have to respect one another. That means people have to learn how to be vulnerable. That means people have to learn how to look inward to understand what some of those vulnerabilities are and what their strengths are and how do they balance those or establish a harmony as they're sort of moving forward with the teams that they work in in business school, 
with the communities or the, the organizations that they're going to work for in their internship um, or full time, and then the communities that they serve as sort of outside of work. So aware um, is an element that we, we find in your essays. Uh, we find that in the interview. We find that also in uh, well-written letters of recommendation, and we find that to some extent in, in the resume as well. And then encouraging, um, and again, this aligns a little with our culture of co-investment, thinking through mostly around the interview, you know, how do you deal with ambiguity? How do you deal with uh, leading teams and managing teams and managing projects? How do you manage or navigate giving and receiving feedback? You may not be someone, there are a lot of people um, who come to business school and they haven't had an opportunity to be the formal leader but they've had an opportunity to lead. And sometimes that's in work and sometimes that's outside of work. Um, but that element of encouraging, we can lift from, again, the uh, essays. Uh, we can lift that from the interviews. And again, we can lift that from well-written and very thoughtful letters of recommendation. All right. Could you also, I mean, you've, you've used the term several times and I, I probably should have asked this earlier, but can you go into a little bit what you mean by a culture of co-investment. How does that manifest itself? Yeah, absolutely. So that manifests itself in, we see the students as partners in everything that we do. So if you, like, for example, our Women in Business Conference, that is a big conference. We bring in probably 150, 160 pers uh, prospective students um, to campus. Um, it's full of guest speakers, you know, uh, panels. It's a, it's a three-day event. The students put that on all by themselves with some guidance from the, the faculty and staff, but really the leaders of this are the students. You know, we have a new uh, mental health and awareness initiative. Although, I, again, I've been in this business for a long time. That's always been a thing. It's only recently become a notable thing that people are talking about. But for those of the, for those of us that have been around for a while, this has always been an issue that we've had to, to deal with. But our students played a big part in helping us come up with our approach for our mental health and awareness initiative. Part of that was serving on a university-wide committee to bring in a telehealth uh, service. Um, and then they helped design our peer um, uh, mental health advisors, uh, that entire initiative. The students helped co-design it. And so they li literally from start to, to finish, and we just rolled it out. Uh, well, we, we just finished the elements of the design just before the winter break, uh, and we will roll it out in earnest. Um, here after spring break. And so there'll be a, a number of different peer counselors that are deployed um, throughout the first year class um, and the second year class to help us really um, put keep our uh, sort of uh, our ear to the pulse of what's going on with the students and to serve as a sounding board for students who might be struggling and to serve as a first alert uh, for when we might need to escalate things to a, to a higher level to ensure that um, someone is getting the, the help and the resources that they need. So by, by co-investment, it's kind of like the school is investing in the students and you're hoping the students will be active participants, initiators, whatever, in, in the campus community as well. Absolutely. And that initiative that they show by coming to Tuck will continue while they're there, right? Absolutely. And that's borne out in the, again, in, in the, the giving, our annual giving uh, mm -hmm. rate. Um, as well as our level of engagement, not just the giving, but level of engagement just across the board, you know, with, with the business. Well, again, I think in any given week, there's probably 15 or 20 alums um, that are on campus doing something. That's impressive. That's impressive. 
What accommodations has Tuck made in light of the recent layoffs? Many business schools have have done different things. What's Tuck done? Yeah, so we announced um, back in January that we were deploying a GMAT GRE test waiver option for those who were negatively impacted by those economic um, and employment disruptions. Of course, you know, this started notably in the tech sector, but very quickly went beyond the tech sector. So our initiative was for round three, our round three uh, applications, and it was industry agnostic. Um, but it was an opportunity for folks to uh, submit an application to be considered for a GMAT GRE test. Uh, waiver. And we were looking at um, number one is you had to be unemployed. And then um, if you submitted the application, you were unemployed and you met a few other top line criteria, then we would look at your academic background. Um, so we were looking for an undergraduate academic background that was steeped in uh, technology, quant, um, analytics. Then we were looking at uh, advanced coursework graduate coursework or maybe certificate programs or something that, again, that was steeped in technology, quant, um, or analytics. Uh, and then the third category that we were looking at was your professional work experience and whether that professional work experience was steeped in uh, sort of quantitative work, data, or, or analytics. Um, so we had those three buckets. Uh, the more of those buckets you could check off, the more likely you were to be granted the waiver. The fewer of those buckets you check off, uh, the less likely um, you were to be granted um, the waiver. Um, and again, we did it for our round three. The deadline for that was actually March 1st. So that gave us plenty of time to uh, do all the evaluation of the applications for the fee waivers. And then for those folks who weren't granted a fee waiver, not a fee waiver, but a test waiver, mm -hmm. it gave them the opportunity to study and take and sit for the exams. Right. Do you think the, the test waiver policy will be extended to next year? You know, we'll have to see, you know, we'll wait and see what it looks like at the end of this year. Um, you know, we've still got quite a ways to go. We're getting ready to release round two um, on Thursday, and then we are still, you know, knee deep in round three. So we'll, we'll have to see what, what this looks like at the end. Okay. You have, I believe the final deadline for the year is March 27th. This show is, is probably going to air after that, actually. I mean, what advice would you have at this point in time for somebody thinking of applying in the, in, you know, in the 2023-2024 cycle? You know, a lot of people think that the third round or the later rounds are bad rounds and that they put right. you at a competitive disadvantage. You know, I've never really fully understood that. I, and I, I, but I do understand that there are some of our peers that, you know, the bulk of their enrolled classes are coming from early deadlines, but that's only a handful of schools. I think most of us do have to rely on the full breadth um, of the admission cycle. So that's all rounds of the admission cycles. You know, I think, I think schools would be hard pressed to turn away strong candidates that come in in later rounds. Again, there are some exceptions. There are some of our peers where they, with the bulk of their of their, their enrolled classes are built off of round one and round two. And some of those peers, they don't even have really a third round. They only have two admission cycles. Um, but I think schools would be hard pressed to turn away any strong candidates that come in later uh, in the admission cycle. Obviously, when we're talking about, you know, seats in classes and, you know, the dollars that are left, 
that that really is the same calculus that you have to think about whether you are applying round one versus round two and round two versus you know, round three, as more students come in and submit their enrollment deposits and commit, you know, schools are looking at a, at a finite number of seats um, available in a class. And so that's just something that you have to take into consideration. I will say that uh, people shouldn't rush. So I know a lot of people right now, because I, I think Microsoft or one of the tech companies just said that they were, no, Meta, just said slash 10,000 more jobs. And so, you know, I would definitely caution uh, folks about rushing into the application process. The reason why most schools have multiple deadlines um, is to provide students with the opportunity to present their application when it's at the strongest that it uh, can possibly be. For some folks, that may mean, you know, multiple attempts at a, at a standardized test. For some that might, the self-reflection or the self-discernment piece and sort of finding which schools I'm going to apply to takes a little bit longer. So they may apply in that round two, round three, or round four. I know there are several schools now, so several of our peers that have extended their third deadlines and added a fourth deadline. I was just going to um, ask so if you have any plans to do that. We don't have any plans to do that. Okay. Yeah, students just need to be thoughtful about that. So whether you apply now or wait and apply early, I think that depends on how, how you assess your readiness um, and competitiveness in the application process. Okay, great. So let's go back a second. What can those invited to interview at Tuck expect if they're lucky enough to be invited? Yeah, um, I think you can expect a conversation, a very low, uh, sort of low, not low intensity, but low risk, I should say. I think a lot of people get wound up and they think that you know, this is, you know, we're trying to trick you with, and this is for any school that we're, you know, the schools are trying to trick you with, you know, trick questions in the interview, and that's going to be a grilling. This is not, we want to have a very civil, you know, conversation just to learn a little bit more about who you are, what makes you tick, why you're interested in the tuck school, why you're interested in pursuing uh, an MBA and how all of that fits into your short-term, you know, mid-term and long-term goals and objectives. And along the way, we'll ask you some questions about, you know, how you handle stress and adversity, um, you know, how you communicate, how you give and receive feedback, and just some of the other elements uh, of, of, of you that make you you that you might want to share with us. All right, great. Now, Tuck last year had three essay questions, you know, why are you pursuing an MBA and why Tuck? Tell us who you are. I'm, I'm summarizing here and describe a meaningful experience in which you exemplified one or more of these attributes, the attributes being, you know, encouraging, collaborative, and em empathetic. Do you anticipate change, any changes to those questions? You know, that's a good question. And we will start thinking about what the uh, next application looks like here in late April or um, early mm -hmm. May. Um, so, so, so we'll see. I think that, you know, the industry that we're in is at a little bit of a crossroads when it comes to uh, MBA applications. And we just talk about, you know, chat GPT and its impact on a, a lot of different things. So, you know, we are going to um, be very thoughtful and um, deliberative um, in thinking through what the application for the next cycle looks like. Okay, great. Sounds good. Also be, I guess, your, your first full uh, application cycle at, at Tuck. Absolutely. Have you played it all with chat GPT? I have, I played a lot with it. Yeah. I, I just tried once and I, I wasn't impressed with the result. I mean, it was, it was interesting in that it was technically well-written, but it was not, there was no substance to it. Now, perhaps it, it, if I provided more substance, it would have been more substantive, giving me a more yeah, substantive the output answer. Yeah, is only as good as the input. Right. Right. 
What question would you have liked me to ask that I haven't asked? What would you like to answer? What would I like to answer? Uh, um, I think, um, again, sort of going back to, you know, the advantages of being uh, in a small, you know, New Hampshire town, you know, you get to, you get to know your classmates. Um, you know, one of the other elements that I've always thought very highly of Tuck about, um, and again, I've, I've been in this business for a long time, and I've known the folks here at Tuck um, for a long time. You know, back when I uh, worked at Indiana University, I worked with a lot of folks from Tuck, uh, and I've always been impressed, uh, you know, with, with just the, the level of, of engagement um, sort of a, across the board. And I think that part of that is, you know, when you come here, again, we talked about everyone has to pick up uh, and move, but this is a place where you you can't hide. And that's not a bad thing. It's, you know, getting to know your classmates and getting to know the faculty and getting to know the staff. And with that high engagement of alumni, the thing that has impressed me, one of the things that has impressed me the most is like I went to South America and met up with about 15 alums. And the, the, the age range was about 10 years, class years. And you would have never known that they were in different class years. They were just talking as if they were, you know, that they all sat in, you know, their finance class together or, you know, their GIX to Denmark together. And that was amazing. Again, a 10-year gap. And then that was replicated. I went to London, um, had a chance to meet with some of the folks uh, from our EMEA council. Um, and again, you know, a wide range of, uh, of years, class years, uh, but they all got along as though they were sitting in, in the class uh, together just yesterday. So, you know, that level of camaraderie, I, I think is something that adds to that element of fit and in how you can thrive um, in your time during an MBA. Might also be something to show that you want to be a part of and that you've Provided camaraderie and participation and co-investment in the past if you are applying successfully. Yeah. Tough. All right, Lawrence, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I've really enjoyed learning about Tuck's MBA program and admissions process and community. Is there a URL you'd like to share? Sure. Tuck.dartmouth.edu will take you right to our main landing page. Sounds good. Listener, you'll find links in the show notes at accept.com slash 514 to Tuck Business School, as well as to other resources worth exploring. Quick reminder, don't miss the MBA admissions quiz. Find out if you're really ready to apply and competitive at your target schools. Take the quiz at accept.com slash MBA quiz. Listener, thank you too for tuning in to this, our 514th episode. If you find this show helpful, subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcatcher you prefer. You can find subscribe links at exhibit.com slash 514. This is Admissions Trade Talk produced by Accepted, and I am your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week. 